Today's scripture reading comes from Hebrews 13, 18 to 25. You can find it in your pew Bibles on page 1010, 1010. Or you can pull it up on your devices. The ESV version of the text will be displayed on the screen. Again, that's Hebrews 13, 18 to 25 on page 1010. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this, in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. You should know that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom I shall see you if he comes soon. Greet all your leaders and all the saints. Those who come from Italy send you greetings. Grace be with all of you. May God bless the reading of his word. This week, Pastor Jeff Huang will preach on the topic of Therefore Conclusion, wrapping up our sermon series, Jesus is Better, Part 3, Therefore. This book that we have been working our way through, he's calling it an exhortation. It's a, a homily, if you will, or even a, a, maybe a sermon. You know, as he's writing to encourage these early Christians to remain steadfast and to continue to believe. And ironically, he, you know, he says, you know, I've written to you briefly. And what we've done is we've taken his brief sermon and we've put it into this three-part sermon series that we've called, by now you should know, Jesus is better. Because right? that is exactly what this book of Hebrews is all about. It's about lifting up the supremacy of Christ and seeing how Jesus is better, how he is worth it. And we've sung about it, we've talked about it, we've preached about it. And we've divided this sermon series into three parts. So if you might remember by now, we have three parts with three corresponding litanies, responsive readings. So part one, we, we started in, in the book of Hebrews with a better redeemer. The fact that Jesus is the Son of God. And so even back in Hebrews chapter 1, it says there that in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. That Jesus is better than the angels, he's better than the prophets, he's better than the priests. That he is the one who is appointed the heir of all things, through whom also God created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And then we moved on from part one 
to part two, a better redemption. That not only is Jesus a better redeemer, but he brings about, he secures for us an eternal redemption. That the blood of Jesus is better than the blood of these other animal sacrifices, the blood of goats and bulls and calves. That his blood does what none of these sacrifices could do, which is to actually cleanse us spiritually, not superficially. And then after that, we've been spending the last few months talking about uh, this third part, therefore, which is to say that after we've discussed all this doctrine and beliefs about who Jesus is, how great he is, what he's done, what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Because that is exactly what news is, right? News announces something that has already happened. That has already been done. In this case, we're talking about my salvation and your salvation. Nothing that we can do to achieve it or bring it about. It's already been done. And like news of any sort of event, all that we can do is respond, react to it. Here, the particular response that we've been hitting at again and again and again is to hold fast. To bear in mind this word of exhortation that Jesus is better. To be reminded of his goodness. And now in this last chapter, the author of Hebrews ends with these few verses, particularly verses 20 to 21. And that's where we're going to be spending our time this morning. This benediction. That's the particular subheading that I have in my particular translation of the Bible. What is, a, what is a benediction, right? Some of you might be familiar with that word. You might have bring to mind the, the, the typical benediction that we give sometimes in our joint services. 2 Corinthians 13, 14, right now, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. What happens during that time? I think sometimes we, we think of a benediction as a maybe a a spiritual way of concluding service and dismissing you all, right? That, it's not it, but we, we maybe think of it as a spiritual way of saying, hey, service is over. You know, you guys are dismissed. Or that it's a, it's a signal that, all right, the sermon is over, announcements are coming up, now it's time to go pick up your kids from Mustard Seed and Children's Ministry. Or, or that, you know, service is over, the sermon's over now, now, you know, my hunger is creeping up, and it's now it's the time to figure out where we're going to eat. Because sometimes it takes a long time for us to choose where we're going to eat, even though it's probably going to be Panera Bread, or Boston Market, or Burlington Mall, or one of those places. So not, it's not really any of those things, even though that is what happens when a benediction is given. And I'll admit, even when I was on worship team in this church many years ago, we'd be waiting in the corridor, the hallway outside, trying to wait for our, our brothers and sisters in Chinese ministry to finish their service. One of the things we would ask is, hey, has the benediction been given yet? Because if it hasn't, then, you know, we're still waiting. But if it has, then we know we're about to go in, we've got to do sound checks, got to practice, got to set up uh, the musical instruments. So these are all the things that kind of happen when a benediction happens occurs, but that's not what a benediction is. Benediction is a blessing. That's what it means. When we give a benediction, we are pronouncing a blessing. And and in this blessing, what is happening is we are giving an expectation that this is what only God can give 
to us. That this is all the work of God. And so there are many benedictions uh, in the Bible. And we read about them both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And so I'll give you a couple of examples. There's number 6, 24 to 26. Very common one that says there, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Right? This is the thing that God is giving us in this blessing. There's Romans 15, 13. Packed full of good stuff. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So again, there is this expectation that God is the one who gives us these things. He has promised us joy and peace. He is the one who gives us a faith that is characterized by joy and by peace. So that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. This is what God has promised, what he can do. And so we we hear these messages and these sermons week after week about what we ought to do, about holding fast, and it can feel quite burdensome. But we are reminded, too, that there is a gift from God, that he is working in us. There is this blessing, and in this blessing, we are given these, we are challenged to set our minds on God and on his grace. We are challenged to have greater expectations, God-sized expectations for what God has promised to give to us. And so I'm reminded of our our brother Chris, Chris and Emily, who just departed for Japan, and he would always remind me and, and maybe others that during the benediction, he would If you remember seeing him, he would always lift up his hands, open hands to receive this blessing. And I would encourage you week to week as we, you know, get to the benediction time to receive openly what God has promised to give to each and every one of you. And so these blessings, these benedictions also function as a bridge, right? They usually happen, they occur, we read about them in Scripture at the end of a section or at the end of the book or in our case, the end of a service or a sermon. We see them as conclusions. They repackage and reframe maybe the contents of what was preached about or the contents of the letter. But they also serve as a way to launch us into the rest of the week into the rest of our lives. And they, so these benedictions ought to serve as a bridge for us from Sunday to Monday, from the, uh, from the end of the worship service to the beginning of the work week, from the sermon to the rest of our lives. So we take this message of hope and we embody it and we let it flow through us and live that out. And in these benedictions, there's a lot to unpack, and we're going to spend our time this morning in these two verses, verses 20 and 21. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me there, and we'll be working our way through these few verses. And it begins with this. He writes, Now may the God of peace, right there, we see that we have a God of peace. What does that mean? God brings peace. He gives peace. He makes peace with us. 
to be specific. Right? The peace that we're talking about here is not some simply this inner tranquility or state of mind, but he's talking about peace between God and men and women, between the creator and his creation. Romans 5.1 kind of supports this. It says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not simply peace from God, although that's true. Not simply peace of God, like a divine peace. That's, that's true, too. But he's emphasizing here peace with God. Which is to say that without peace, what was it like? What was that relationship was like? Well, it was severed. It was broken. And without peace, there was wrath. God's wrath. Because he is a holy God, even as he is a loving God. He is a just God. He is a righteous God. And for him to be just and righteous, he cannot let sin go unpunished. Otherwise, we would make the comments that we sometimes hear today, that we are calling God's character into question. But God's wrath is appeased. We read about it in Hebrews 2, 17. This is what we covered way at the beginning of the sermon series. Therefore, Jesus had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So he had to be human so that he could be a substitute for us. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this word, propitiation, is a big word, but it's a fancy theological word to really get at the idea of what is happening here is God's wrath is being appeased through this propitiation, uh, through the sacrifice. Jesus takes on the wrath of God for us as a substitute. And how? So we have this God at peace. How is that peace made? And he continues on in this benediction. Who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. So we have not only a God of peace, we have a, a resurrected great shepherd. And I think it's so uh, interesting that he's calling Jesus a shepherd in these last few verses. Particularly if you might remember maybe like two weeks ago, we were just a few verses earlier in, in verse 17. Pastor Jeff Arthurs was preaching about submission to leaders in the church and obeying your leaders who are these mini shepherds, or maybe if you will, sheepdogs. And they serve under the chief shepherd, the great shepherd. They are there to direct, point. We are here to, to point us all back to Jesus. And Jesus as a shepherd is also really helpful in light of the entire book of Hebrews, right? Because the, the danger that is being, uh, that is here for these early Christians is the danger that these people would drift from the flock of God. They would go to these other pastures, to these other shepherds, to false truths and be swept away, be drifted away. Here, God is the only one who can actually lead us to green pastures. Psalm 23, right? The Lord and only the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He, he is the only one who makes me lie down in green pastures. He is the only one who leads me beside still waters. He is the only one who restores our souls 
leads us in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Not only is Jesus the great shepherd, he calls himself the good shepherd. In John 10, 11, Jesus is talking about himself and he says, I am the good shepherd. What does it mean for Jesus to be a shepherd? The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. For each and every one of you. He, Jesus is there to, to guide you, to attend to you, to care for you, and to save you. To be that sacrifice. And that is so important for us to grasp, to take hold of. So it says in this benediction, right, that God, the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. You see, if, if Jesus didn't die, then he couldn't be a sacrifice. He would be worse than those animal sacrifices that they were relying on, that they were trusting in. And if Jesus died but was not brought again from the dead, if he was not resurrected, and this is important as we approach Easter in a couple weeks, if he just died and he wasn't brought back to life, then he couldn't be our Savior. He would be no better than those animal sacrifices. His blood would be no better than the blood of goats and calves and bulls and other animals. But what we see here, what we are reminded that Jesus has risen. And him rising from the dead is proof of the acceptance of this peace. How do we know that we have peace with God? Jesus. He continues on. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. So we have a God of peace. We have a resurrected great shepherd, and we also have a blood-bought eternal covenant. We talked about this in, in a couple of chapters ago, in chapters 9. I think that's the chapter that really focused on blood, and so there's that sermon that I preached I don't expect you to remember anything from there, but uh, from, from chapter 9. So I'll give a quick review, right? That, that Jesus' blood inaugurates this new covenant. It covers over those who break this covenant. So 9.12, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So what do we say then? Jesus Price, uh, Jesus' blood is the purchase price for us. That his blood has a purchasing power. Right? So we, we said that going into this year, inflation is crazy high right now. Like 6.8%, 7%, something like that. Some of you are, are switching jobs, you're negotiating salary raises, talking about your bonuses, thinking about the higher costs of living, and it's stressing us out. Because inflation affects our purchasing power. It affects how much a dollar is worth, how much a peso, a renminbi, a ruble is worth. So the same dollar or any of these other currencies can't buy as much today as it could yesterday or seven, several years ago. Everything is expensive and getting more expensive. You know, except for Costco's $1.50 hot dog and soda combo and the church's $2 lunch. Those two are, are extraordinary exceptions. But everything else, we feel, we feel the increase in price. But unlike money, 
The blood of Christ has a purchasing power that is not affected by things like inflation. It's not affected by us or what we do. It is not affected by what is going on in the rest of the world, whether it be a war or what's going on in the financial markets. The purchasing power of Christ, the blood of Christ remains the same. It covers over everyone completely and definitively. And so the passage in in chapter 9 is comparing the blood of Christ to these blood of animal sacrifices that the, the people were tempted to turn back to, to rely on again under the old covenant. And the message to the original readers and to us are the familiar words of capital one. What's in your wallet? We have the blood of Christ. We have a blood-bought eternal covenant. And so now, having kind of established all these many different things about what, who God is and what he's done in Jesus, now we get to the, the blessing part of the blessing, the benediction. He says, may God equip you with everything good that you may do his will. We have a God who gives us what we need to do his will. He equips us with everything good. I'm reminded of uh, Augustine. He's an early church father, and he was someone who was struggling, struggling with lust, struggling with sinful uh, strongholds and temptations. At some point, he realized that if God is calling him to obey and to follow, that God will also give him the mercy and grace that is needed. So there's this quote that he says in his book, Confessions, which I really like. Command what you will and give what you command. Command what you will and give what you command. Here, this blessing that is being pronounced is, is, being, is said, may God equip you, may God give you what you need to do his will. To put it another way, this translation is saying, may God make you complete in every good thing. Now, I think of uh, this word equip, and I can't help but think of video games. Some of you are playing Breath of the Wild or Elden Ring. That just came out. And in a lot of these video games, you can always equip, right? You can add on these weapons or uh, other things, and you can plus whatever to your stats, right? Plus 10 to attack and plus 100 to defense and stamina and all these things. And so what God is doing here is he's transforming us. He's equipping us. He's giving what we need. And what is that? He transforms our will by the power of the Holy Spirit. He aligns our desires with that of God. So we want what God wants. He shapes and softens our heart. This is what he has promised you in this new covenant. Gives you, giving you a heart of flesh. He enlightens our mind so that we might be receptive to his truth and see the beauty of all that he is. He, he sustains our faith. He secures our salvation. And the purpose of all, all of that is what? So that we may do his will. So that we may hold fast. He gives us what we need to follow him. Now, here's an, another part as this benediction continues. He not only gives us what we need to do his will, but look, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. We have a God who not only equips us with everything good to do his will, he also works in us what pleases him. 
So God is not simply a cheerleader or coach on the sidelines. He's not just there to to rah-rah and encourage us and to shout instructions from the sidelines. He is there right now working in each and every one of us by the power of the Spirit. It's that same word there, working in us, the same word as uh, doing his will. So we might read it as, may God give you, equip you with everything good that you may work out his will as he is working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. And this second part is so important for us. Because if we just stopped at the first part, that this is what God is going to give us, and then we have to do these things, that can be frustrating or burdensome or really discouraging. Because we know that we're not perfect. We know that we sometimes continually mess up over and over and over again. And so there's this second part that says God is working in you. He's going to bring it about He's going to sanctify you. And this is helpful because God is not just the God of second chances or third chances or fourth chances or a million chances. Why? Because when we say that, we are kind of implying that God is going to wipe our spiritual ledger clean and we get a reboot, we get a redo. But guess what? We're going to fail again and again and again and again and again. But God doesn't just give us a second chance. He doesn't give us a second. He, he gives us a perfect substitute, Jesus, who comes in and lives the perfect, obedient life that we should have lived but couldn't. And he takes our place on the cross for us. And lastly, this is how the, the passage wraps up. We move from this in this benediction from this blessing to this doxology, to this praise. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is exalted. He's glorified. It ends on Jesus because this book is about Jesus. He is glorified. He is better. All this that we've been talking about, about our salvation, about our, how Jesus is better, it's because of him. And so let me pray for us this benediction as we wrap up and are reminded to continue to hold fast, to respond, and to see Jesus for all that he is. Let's pray. God, we, we give thanks to you, for you are the one who made peace. You are the one who brought about peace. You are the one who by your power brought again from the dead our shepherd, our savior, Jesus. I pray now, we ask now that we would have this expectation that you are the one who can give us what you have promised. That you can give us what we need to follow you. You can give us more faith. You can give us more joy, more peace, more hope. You can shape our hearts and our minds and align our lives in accordance with your will. I pray now that you would give us new, a new heart, new desires that are in line with what you deem to be good and just and righteous. 
And we pray, I pray, Lord, that you would continue to work in each and every uh, one of us, giving us more, uh, more glimpses of your beauty, your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.